Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. So glad to have you with us. I hope you're having a good season of Lent. We have a terrific show for you that is going to put you in the right mindset for that journey through Lent. Julie Ann Stans is returning to our show today, and we're going to talk about her new book. But first, if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Maybe you came for Julianne Stans, but I hope you'll stick around for some of the other incredible guests that visit our show. They share their expertise, their wisdom, and their experience with us on every show. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And for a complete listing of all of our shows, visit us on advancingourchurch.com. And just one little shameless plug for my wife's website, Kristen's Crosses. If you're looking for more opportunities to pray, please join me every single day for prayer and reflection on my wife's YouTube channel at kristenscrosses.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Her YouTube channel just hit 25,000 subscribers. I'm so proud of her. There are people all over the world praying with us every single day. It's really amazing. I hope you'll check it out. And in the coming weeks, we have some wonderful guests lined up. We have Sister Jane Wakahayu from the Hilton Foundation to celebrate National Catholic Sisters Week, and Kailesh Durizwami, who is going to discuss using new forms of technology in the church. I'm also working on a couple of different leads for shows that will focus on what's happening in the Ukraine, so stay tuned. And of course, on behalf of Changing Our World and this podcast, Advancing Our Church, we're keeping the people of Ukraine in our thoughts and prayers every single day, and I know that you are too. Okay, let's get to work. Today, my guest is Julianne Stans, the author of the book, Braving the Thin Places. And we talk about what it means to have a soul friend and tell your soul story. And I'll be honest, I got a little emotional during this discussion thinking about my soul friend. We also learned just a little bit more about how Julianne was formed into the incredible storyteller that she is today. So without further ado, here's Julianne. Well, welcome, Julianne. So glad to have you here on Advancing Our Church. It's been a couple of years. Great to have you here again. Thanks so much, Jim. And thanks to everybody who's listening or watching. And it's great to be here with you. So welcome to Advancing Our Church, everyone. A Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. We're back here on uh, Facebook Live. And uh, we're here with author Julianne Stanham. I don't think Julianne needs much of an introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. Julianne is a nationally known author, speaker, retreat leader, storyteller, the director of the new evangelization for the Diocese of Green Bay, and a consultant to the USCCB Committee on Catechesis and Evangelization. Her latest book, Braving the Thin Places, is the topic of our conversation today. So welcome again, Julianne. So glad to have you with us. And I think the last time that I saw you was right before the pandemic. So it's been a couple of years. That feels like it was just yesterday and at the same time so long ago as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I really enjoyed today. So everybody knows I'm holding up a, a copy of it, but I will put a link in the, in the show notes. We're talking about the book, Braving the Thin Places, Celtic Wisdom to Create a Space for Grace. I really enjoyed this book, Julianne. I felt like I got to know you a little better because you share, shared some really intimate stories about who you are, a little bit about your mom, and, and, and even a little bit about how you became such a wonderful storyteller. But Maybe we could start a little bit by just explaining folks the title. What, what is a thin place in our life? 
Yeah, this is such a beautiful understanding from my Irish background, but it's definitely not something that's uh, linked solely to Ireland. It's very much something that's picked up in themes all across the world in various traditions. But the idea of a thin place is this place where God meets us in a very profound way, where the veil between God and, and us is very thin, and we feel heaven breaking through. And historically, thin places were always associated in Ireland with these incredible remote places where people would typically retreat away to spend time with God. One of them is Skellig Michael off the coast of Kerry. Another one is Newgrange, which is a world UNESCO heritage site. And it's actually the carvings on Newgrange's tombs and stones is um, actually three and a half thousand years older than the pyramids. So we're talking about something that's very, very deep, very, very rich and very, very ancient. But I wanted to help people understand that you don't just need to go to these places to experience this thinness of God, but that you can experience a thinness of the heart where God meets you in your everyday life and kind of tap into some of the practices that I grew up with that I wanted to share with others. And those thin places, as I read your book, we encounter God, but it's not always through those times of joy. Sometimes it's through times of sadness or through challenging times. Tell us a little bit about the, the intimacy of, of encountering uh, the, a, thin, a thin place. You know, yeah. And I think for, for many of us, you know, we tend to focus a lot on our glory stories of how God has put the pieces back together of our lives. And we tend not to dwell in those broken places because they're places of fear they're places of intense suffering and sadness. But just like we can acknowledge God's presence, you know, we were just talking earlier about the gift of our spouses and the joy that comes from supporting each other in our faith and in what we want to do in life and how our children are connected to that. And I think there's a, a tendency sometimes to stay with those moments and not to look at those moments that are, are harder. Um, and I think through incredible times of suffering and trial, God is present to us in a very, very specific and powerful way. We can feel him surrounding us, comforting us for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, I often say. We become aware of his presence, but we aren't always able to see how he's actually guiding us through these transition times until much, much later. And so I wanted to kind of break open this idea of thin space in the places of intense suffering in our lives so that we can look at where the hope, the grace, that space for grace really is present to us. And I think sometimes, at least in my own experience, that when I've experienced those thin places, maybe I wasn't immediately aware that I was in a thin place until later when I kind of did some reflection or even praying about it, where maybe you don't notice you're having that encounter with God or that moment where you need to be present to God until maybe a little bit after the fact, because you're so caught up in the moment or caught up in your own human emotion of maybe what's happening at that moment, but to really understand that there are graces that that come through those thin places and really not even in the moment of the thin place, but reflecting on where you were at or what the what the significance of that thin place was for you in your life. Absolutely. And I, I think sometimes when we go through those moments, we tend to move on. We, we feel God's presence, but we don't slow down enough to really notice and, and create what I call these moments of divine attunement where we consciously lean into the presence of God and, and recognize where he is and how he's guiding us, carrying us, dragging us sometimes through those moments. And what I've learned in talking with people from all over the world about this concept is many times in life, it feels like when we go through something that's very, very difficult, we are feeling like we're falling apart. 
But if we would see that as people of faith, that sometimes God is breaking us open so that more light, more grace can come in. I often say, you know, blessed are the broken for they can let more light in. That changes what can feel like torment and turmoil. It can change it into suffering that has meaning and value because turmoil will lead to torment if there's no meaning. But suffering will always bring growth because God, if we're watching and listening and noticing where God is moving in the midst of that. And in this season of Lent, you know, as I was reading your chapter on the darkness, it really caused me to think a little bit about the journey that we go through in Lent and how how maybe we hang on to, you talk a little bit about in the chapter, maybe we find a comfort in even staying in the darkness because it's just, a, it's, it, it becomes comfortable like an old sweater, if you will. And, and it really takes some effort for us to will ourselves to move towards the light. Mm-hmm. It, it just struck me that this book is just, it, it seems like a great, it would be a great journey for someone to take them during the season of Lent. I think so too. And actually I talk about St. Patrick's journey to prepare his for public ministry with his 40 days and 40 nights on Ireland's holiest mountain, which is called Crow Patrick. But I think every Lent is an opportunity for ourselves to die onto the things that we're hanging on to and to rise again to new life in Christ. And one of the metaphors that I use in the book, which has really resonated with a lot of people, is this idea of having a junk drawer. And that we have all got the junk drawer in our house where we stash all the things that we don't want to, we don't really know what to do with, like the paper clips, the batteries, the, you know, the stuff that we haven't really sorted through, but we just hang on to. In our hearts, we can also do that. We can accumulate this well of experiences of shame or guilt or fear or sadness, and we just stop them in there. And it takes a lot of courage and effort to actually take out that junk drawer and say, God, this is my life. This is the beautiful pieces of who I am. And this is the mess of who I am. And really to surrender that to God. And and Lent is all about leaning into God and surrendering what we think, like my will be done to thy will be done. And so I I agree. I think Lent is a a really good time for that self-reflection and introspection. And certainly so appropriate in, you know, in your book, you talk a little bit about some of the, the mental health challenges that we're facing as a country too. And, and you stat, cited some stats and I think they go back to 2017, but certainly appropriate today. And in this age of, of COVID and hopefully God willing someday post COVID that mental health and, and challenges such as that are, are on the rise. And so I just think the awareness and the need for unpacking that junk drawer is just so even more critical and people are beginning are recognizing that today. Yeah. And I think integrated wellness always looks at the spirituality piece. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, it's mind, body, and soul. Those all need to come together for good health. I think one of the things that perplexed me about the pandemic and the turmoil that we found ourselves in was we had a conversation around keeping people safe, which was good and right. And we needed to do that, especially for our vulnerable. But our conversation focused so much on, you know, sanitization and guidelines and policies and and all the things that we do need to do. But we also neglected talking about the spiritual health of our people who are suffering and, you know, to look at longing and meaning during this time. Well, what is God doing? I've noticed a couple of different things that have resonated again with people. You know, what does it feel like to have gone through this? And, you know, there's the sense of grief, like grief for people we lost, but also experiences and missed opportunities. And, you know, I was having a conversation with my daughter about this. And she said, you know, mom, when is it my turn to receive the blood of, of Christ? And I said, I looked at her and I said, but, and that dawned on me, she made her first communion during the pandemic. She still has not received the precious blood. 
Wow. So, you know, there, there are things that we've lost that we aren't always conscious of. And I think right now people are struggling with what I call the three Fs. A lot of fear, especially with the unrest in the world. Frustration, like, come on, let's just get back to normal. Or are you kidding me? How can we go back to normal? Everything in between. So fear, frustration and fatigue, kind of a general sense of tiredness. And that all impacts um, our physical life. It impacts our spiritual life. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about this. We have to grapple with wellness as a whole and not just look at one focus um, over the other. And this Lent certainly should be a time for us all to reflect on what is it that we're looking for now in our own spiritual life and certainly in the context of the larger world. And of course, you know, we can't talk about the larger world without acknowledging and praying for the people of Ukraine right now and, and all that they're going through and, and the thin places that they may be experiencing in, in their lives. Yeah, and I think, you know, for us looking from the outside in and we're having a window into their suffering and we're having a window into their great resilience and their great joy, you know, some of the most moving images I think have been where they're taking care of each other, where you see the best of humanity on display, the images where there's masses taking place in bunkers and in subways. And you realize that life is continuing, but everything has changed for this people. And how do we enter into the solidarity that we need to, to be praying for them, to be doing our part, to be contributing where we can so that their thin place also becomes a thin space for us to mediate our own joy, our own pain, our own resiliency too. I think it's something we need to look at. Absolutely. So as I said before, Julianne, I felt as as though when I read this book, I was getting to know uh, Julianne Stans a little bit better because of some of the, the personal stories that you shared. I understand that this was a book that was 20 years in the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said to me, you know, one of the questions you get asked a lot as a writer is, why did you write this book? And I, I, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I wrote this, but I, I, I come back to the point of, I love to tell story. So I didn't want to set out to write a book. I set out to tell a story. And when I moved from Ireland to the United States, there were little practices and traditions and beliefs that I grew up with um, that I wanted to remember and retain that connected me to my ancestors. And I started writing those down. And a couple of years ago, someone approached me and said, you really, really should write a book around some of the things that you're talking about. And there's only so long that you can kind of run from God, like Jonah here, like running away from Nineveh, right? Running to Nineveh. For me, you know, this book was a little bit like that because I knew it would take me into some places in my life, my own grief, my own need for healing. And I resisted that. And like, and I think we do that too in Lent, you know, we're always faced with temptation and, you know, how do we stay faithful? But during the pandemic, it gave me the opportunity to not be driving and be on the road. And so instead of, I used my commuting time in the morning to get up and really think about why this book, right? Why now? And here's what I would say to those who are listening in. If it feels like today is more difficult to have conversations about things that matter, like during the pandemic, I think who we are, what we really believed became evident. And so I hear people tell me like, oh, we learned all the kinds of things in our family. Like there was, you know, everything like, right. right? And so conversation with our families became harder and more divisive. Politics Mm. became divisive. Um, How we should educate children in the midst of a pandemic became very divisive. And, you know, that message of we're all in it together then kind of morphed into like a free for all. And and to me, this feels like a very thick time, like a boggy, muddy, messy time. And if you look at history, 
messy, boggy times are always followed by great breaking throughs where God is using the pain and suffering to unfold something even more beautiful. And that's why I think collectively as a world, we've entered a thin time um, where God is, is moving and he is bringing people to life in ways that we as a church had not considered before with apostolates and movements and just incredible things happening. And so I wanted to let people know that if you are feeling the inklings of this in your own life, that you're not alone, and there's actually a really good reason for it. Our, our theology often talks about liminality, meaning beginnings, new beginnings and ritual transitions. And that that's what the sacraments are. They're, they're liminal moments that break us out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. And so what is God doing with this time? It's a great question for us to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Your your chapter on a soul friend got me thinking about a soul friend of mine who I had lost about a year and a half ago, right in, in the middle of the Aww. pandemic. Tell our listeners a little bit about what what is a soul friend? Because I I think as you said in the book, uh, there's a can be a, a bit of confusion between a soul friend and a soul mate, just because of the way our culture Conflates has written that two. narrative. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a narrative in the popular culture that talks about, you know, today I'll marry my best friend, my soulmate. And the soul friend is a far deeper and ancient concept. So it, it developed in the early Christian church, particularly in Ireland, and um, was brought to all the Celtic nations after that and actually spread throughout the world. But at the core of this idea is that this is the person who holds up a mirror to who you are and who God wants you to be, which isn't always easy. It can be quite difficult and painful. And your soul friend is, is where your soul and their soul meet each other. And so a really good, an amazing soulmate of mine um, many, many years ago described it like this. It's when the light inside you meets the light inside the other person. And those transcendent wisps of light greet each other like they have always known who each other has been and are called to tend each other uh, for God. And so this soul friendship, this idea of the soul friendship was very, very important in the early Christian church. You find St. Bridget, for example, talking about this, that everybody is supposed to have that one friend that they can go to who holds up the mirror to their life. And people say, well, why can't that person be the person you're married to? And I certainly, I talk about that in the book, like that is possible, but it's unlikely. And I give this analogy, we can't often read words on a page when they're this close to our face. Right. And so your soul friend is the one who is able to step back and really see what God is doing in your life. So they're incredibly powerful friendships. And time, distance, space does not change the character of what that friendship looks like. So with your soul friend passing, Jim, you're both still connected in a very different way but no less beautiful. And that is a great comfort, I think, when I help people understand that you may not be able to see with your human eyes, your soul friend, but with your the eyes of your soul, you will become aware of how they are present in your life in many, many different ways. They're, they send signs, they, they speak their presence. And it's a great example of the communion of saints. So I, I wanted to showcase this idea of the soul friend because it is such a beautiful but often really misunderstood concept. I felt myself getting a little choked Aww. up as you were talking. <laughs> he was a very dear friend for a very long time, and I still feel connected to him, and I think of him almost every day. He was transformational in my life. So you talked a little bit about, about finding our soul story in the book. Tell us a little bit about that, too. 
Yeah, you know, our souls are the places that hold our light. They're the spark of the divine. One of the things I say in the book, which a lady has told me she's been meditating on now for a couple of weeks is, your Mm -hmm. soul is the cavern of eternal memory. It's the part that lives on when our bodies cease to exist. And so it's the place that's deeply personal. It's created by God for God. And it is, I think the soul is such, you know, we don't talk about that a lot. You know, so I looked at, for example, in the book, I talk about, Aristotle's de anima and how Aristotelian taught fed into Christian thought. But, you know, we we look at this understanding of the soul friend and the soul and what is God doing in our lives. And I wanted people to understand that they have a soul story. And mm. a lot of people say to me, but nothing crazy happened to me. Like I didn't leave Ireland and, you know, come here with two suitcases like you. But then I say to them, but did you ever lose somebody you loved? Were you ever bullied? Did you ever have your heart broken? Can you remember a moment where you felt such an intense feeling of joy that you were completely overwhelmed and just started to weep? And people said, yeah, yeah. I said, you have a story. And so helping people identify their soul story is, uh, I think it's really important because story is a pull narrative that draws people in. It's one of the best vehicles for preaching and sharing our faith is through story. And there's a great example of this. The Irish are storytellers, you know, par excellence. And if you go to Dublin, to this day, you can walk down the street in Dublin and you'll hear with a very, very strong Dublin accent, a lot of the lads and ladies, they're saying, you know, they'll just say this, like as a greeting, story bud, story bud. And I, I grew up with that. I heard that and I didn't realize, like, I knew exactly what that meant. But when I took a group home to Ireland of pilgrims, pilgrims a couple of years ago, someone was mm-hmm. like, what is that person saying? And I said, they're saying story bud, but what they're actually saying is, what's the story buddy? What's the story buddy? And it comes from this old Irish or Gaelic expression, which is which is what story is upon you? And so I love that idea of there's a, always a story upon us. And yes. There's a Shanaki, which is the bearer of old lore, is the storyteller in the Irish tradition. But we are also storytellers. Every one of us mm. is a Shanaki, a bearer of 2,000 years of tradition and history and mystery in our Christian faith. And your soul story and God's soul story are unfolding every day. So what a gift to be able to share that with the world. And you talk a little bit about in the book how you were formed as a storyteller and even wow. entered a competition, as I recall. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that as, as, a, as a young woman, how you were formed as a storyteller, because clearly that was the beginning of forming you as a minister, or at least it was part of your formation process. Yeah, and you know, I, I think about how blessed I am now to be able to be in a ministry where I get to teach through story. And you know, Jesus told story all the time. The parables are, are stories. So Jesus was the, the master storyteller. But my journey as a storyteller happened really simply. My parents on Sunday afternoons or every once in a while would take us to the pub in our village. And our pub did not, does not have, did it when I was growing up, didn't have a community center or a fast food restaurant or a coffee shop, nothing. So where we gathered to tell story, to exchange family, you know, life was often the pub. And we would go down on a Sunday evening, usually to hear some music and there'd be a big fire lighting in the corner and, I remember the stories that were being swapped and traded and getting to hear, you know, these little old ladies and little gents sitting at the bar and trading stories about their lives. But in a a single instance, 
you could be transported 5,000 years in story. And so I used to soak this up as a child and it really fed my imagination. So I took Celtic study when I was in college and learned about, you know, the great stories of Ireland and that repository of story because the early Christian priests of Ireland, the very first priests in Ireland were former Druids who converted to Catholicism. And the Druids spent 29 years in training to be a Druid. And all of that was not written down. It was folklore and story that was shared from one generation to another. So that storytelling motif has bled into every aspect of our culture. And so when I was about 14, I started telling stories too. And there's a competition called Scorn and Og, which showcases Irish culture, music, dance, you know, the Irish language. And I entered as a storyteller and I won actually our province, which is like Ireland's divided into some provinces. And I I took first in that and then went to the all Irelands and took second as a master storyteller when I was 16, which was incredible. I'll never forget being on that stage and looking out and our whole village, it felt like was there supporting me. We'd all gotten the bus up together to, to Dublin where I was performing and our whole village was just behind me 110%. But it was because our villagers had mentored me in story. That mm-hmm. story is something, there's an Irish proverb, or Shanukle, as we call them in Ireland. When you share story, you come away with two stories. Your mm-hmm. own story is enhanced and you carry a little bit of the person with you. And I think that is such a unifying message, especially at this time in the life of the world, that there's always something that we can learn from someone else. Uh, you know, as, as you were telling that story, Julianne, it was certainly another Another time, right? Another era. And you wonder in the day of, of, of cell phones and the way, I mean, I have three young adults. I have a 17, a 19, and a 21-year-old. And I, I worry sometimes. I mean, they they get our stories as family members because we sit down at the table and we've told them so many times. But so important for families to spend that time together and tell their stories. Because my, my, my daughter was just telling me this past week as I was helping her move some furniture in her college apartment, just... She says, Dad, I still remember the stories you tell you told me of when you were growing up and how you found the faith and how all the lessons that you learned. I just think those stories as parents are just so ingrained in our children. Clearly, uh, as you said in the book, you were like a sponge just absorbing those stories and, and you're now able to tell them so beautifully today. You know, when I, I tell people this too, like the gospel has been gossiped from village to village for every generation. Right. And so we're part of a legacy of storytellers that it needs to continue. And it does scare me. But, you know, something that gives me hope is when I have been teaching people how to share their story, I'll often pull up like what's called the Ohm Stones of Ireland, which is a form of tree alphabet with notches and crosses. And I'll mm-hmm. show some of the, the Egyptian hieroglyphs and then I'll show some emojis and I'll say, kids are telling story today. They're communicating in a language that we might find difficult, but Instagram, for example, is a great example of storytelling through pictures, through imagery. Right. Facebook, people are telling story all the time. We're telling story in new ways. I just hope that we never lose the linguistic relational dimension of face-to-face story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Julianne, I would imagine it had to be challenging to write about your mom's passing. Was, was, that, a, was that a difficult chapter for you to write? Yeah, it was. My mom was an incredible woman. She was a force of nature. And I tell her story because for a lot of different reasons. One, for people to understand that even if your body is physically failing, you can come to complete spiritual help in the way that my mother did. And that can be such a bridge of hope for people. But 
My mother also wanted things done the old way. There are some incredibly beautiful traditions that are associated with grieving and death and dying in Ireland, which I think for us in America, we have we can learn from, especially because we don't do death as a culture really well. We want it fast. We want it away. We want it moved on. But I also think then we don't grieve as well. Mm. And so you'll hear things like people saying, you know, you get over it. You don't ever get over the loss of someone. You learn how to carry that loss forward in your soul in a different way. But for example, one of our traditions, which is very, very special to us is um, in the week that my mother was passing, I wanted to kind of document her story in a way that gave honor to her and an honor to our traditions. And I started becoming aware of practices that even my family was losing memory around. So I remember an older lady came into my mother's room and she noticed the the galler, it's called the the color of my mother's body. And my mother was still very active at this stage, but she had an attuned eye to what was happening and knew that it wouldn't be long. So she came into my mother's bedroom and she cracked open the window. And my I knew what she was doing, but my sister didn't. And she said, why is she opening the window? She'll get cold. And the lady said, it's to allow the souls of our ancestors to come in and tend to your mother's soul as she's making her way home. And so this beautiful understanding of the souls of our ancestors coming in to minister to my mother during her passing was one of those traditions that a lot of people do in Ireland without thinking. Another one that's very unusual is when somebody you love dies, and we often wake them in the home, meaning that their bodies are laid out in the home, we will uh, stop all the clocks in the house. Wow. And my, my sister's like, why Why are we doing it? Well, mom wanted it done the old way because... For you, when someone dies, your life is marked by that event and time never looks the same since. So again, that finality of time being marked. Um, Another one that we do, which is really unusual, and it harkens back to the pre-Christian times in Ireland, is we encircle the coffin with candles to keep the spirits of the darkness at bay. And we sit with the body for usually three days and three nights. So the body is never left alone. And that goes back to a pre-Christian time when the spirits of the darkness could come in to steal the soul away to the place of darkness. Um, And so the light chases the darkness away. Now we know as Catholics that that light is the light of Christ. And so it's this beautiful melding of the old and the new. So it's all of those kind of practices that I didn't want us to lose um, as a people the memory and the significance of those practices because they're traditions everybody can incorporate that have such beautiful meaning and dignity, especially to people who are passing. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Julianne, how can folks find your book? I know they can go to juliannestands.com, but I, and I actually got mine on Amazon. How else can we find your book? Yeah, you can go on juliannestands.com. And I mm-hmm. did have a little word with my publisher, Loyola Press, and they are so good to me. They really believe in this book and um, in this project. And I do have a little flyer, which, Jim, you can share with your listeners and your readers and your watchers. Happy to. It's, um, a special little family and friends discount for ordering through Loyola Press. And so I put that together to you. But the other thing I would say is don't neglect your small Catholic business owners, your bookstores, your local, mm-hmm. you know, small town village bookstores. They depend. So go there and ask. They will be able to get the book for you as well. And I also, I, I bought a copy on Audible. So oh, uh, they, they, I did. Yes. And so I listened to it a little bit in the car and they have a beautiful narrator who did a wonderful job. And so that was great. That's Loved incredible. It. You're the first. 
first person that's told me they've listened to it as an audio book. So that is wonderful. I had wondered when that project was going to be released. So yes, it's, it's there. You you have the op. If you go to Amazon, you have the option to download it on Audible, or you can buy a hard copy on Amazon. So uh, it's great. I, I highly recommend it. Before I let you go, any uh, anything new happening on the evangelization committee through the USCCB? Anything new and up and coming? Yes, yes. So um, I've been a consultant to the USCCB committee on evangelization catechesis for about 10 years now. Yeah. And we are in the middle of a very, very exciting project. We're working toward the Eucharistic revival of this entire United States and, Wonderful. and beyond. And all of the bishops are, are working together. They unanimously passed that document on the Eucharist at, at their November meeting. And we're working together to have a series of regional convocations all across the country, and then a large national event in Indianapolis I can share in 2024. Nice. So pretty exciting stuff there happening. That's exciting. And is Bishop Barron still the chair of that committee? or? So Bishop Barron um, is no longer the chair. He had been with us for a couple of years. His term right. ended, and now we have Bishop Andrew Cousins. How wonderful. And yes, he has been an absolute incredible leader for us with the Eucharistic revival. And it's just incredible to see the outpouring of unity around mm-hmm. the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and Beautiful. our need to really catechize and uphold our teaching and to share story on how the Eucharist impacts people's lives. So it's, it's a really great moment for us, I think, uh, to be aware of and to, to lean into in our parishes. In my own diocese, I had our bishop, Bishop Alfred Schlert from the Diocese of Allentown on the show last year. He chose the theme for our 60th anniversary as the year of the real presence. And just as a time of, of inviting people back to the Eucharist, inviting people back to Mass, you know, we the, the online Mass was such a, an important tool for us to use while we were not able to be present to each other. And then, and even still for those who are homebound and sick and, and have uh, circumstances, but it certainly has been a time, I think, for many dioceses that I've seen across the country to really embrace that kind of theme of a time to return back to the Eucharist and to the real presence of Christ. So uh, it, it certainly is. sounds like your committee is really tapping into what is needed right now and what they're seeing nationally. Yeah, and I think for us, too, I think we got some shocker data that came in around what Catholics believe around the, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And I think at a time when people are longing for the presence of peace, the presence of greater hope and joy and resilience and courage, all of that can be found in the Eucharist and so much more. And so I love that we're tapping into this understanding of being present to to Jesus in the Eucharist, being present to the Holy Spirit, being present to each other, because that's where our healing is going to come from um, as a people. And so I am really excited to see what this is going to do in terms of um, the local level, how it's going to make a difference in our homes and in our families with our children, because it's amazing to watch your children come alive um, when they understand the great gift of the Eucharist. And I've seen that in our in our own family life, too. Um, I was going through a hard time. Can I tell you a quick story, Jim? <laughs> I was going through a hard time a couple of years ago, and I was tucking my son into bed, and he, he asked me a question, and it refocused my entire ministry actually he um, said mom is it true is it true what father says and I said is it true what father says he said you know mom when he does this these two little pudgy three-year-old hands came up he said you know he's trying to make like he was holding the Eucharist he said if we eat this bread we will live forever is that true mom is that true and at the time, I was struggling with some some significant health challenges, and I'd been really worried sick over. And yet my son was holding up to me 
almost cried that one of the greatest, the greatest teaching of our faith. And this is, we will live forever. Our souls will be with God forever in a perfect state of unity, God willing. And the Eucharist mm-hmm. promises of this. And every time we step up to receive the Eucharist, we be, we say we believe this, but do we mm-hmm. really believe this at the core? And so his seeing that through his eyes has changed how I receive the Eucharist, the gift of the Eucharist. Beautiful. You know, Julia, one of the one of the many gifts you have is that you are a working mom and you are present to your children and you do all you do for all of us. And yet you're so present to your to your beautiful family. And so thank you for the the role model that you are for so many and for your beautiful ministry for to all of us. Oh, thank you. It's uh, God's people are so beautiful. And people in here in this country have been so generous and kind. I love the expression of generosity that I see in our Catholics throughout this country. And I always say Ireland will always be my homeland. I will always consider Ireland my home, but America is my heartland. That's where I fell in love. And so thank you to everybody who's been so encouraging and supportive. And to you too, Jim, you've been such a gift. And every time we've gotten together, I've really appreciated our conversation. As we say, which is 100,000 thank yous. Oh, thank you so much. Well, Julianne, thank you again for being on the podcast and, and best of luck with your book. And I'm, I'm, it was just a real pleasure to be with you today and, and, and to have the opportunity to catch up again and then to, to talk about your book. So thank you again. We'll leave uh, links in the show notes uh, to Julianne's book and to her website and where I know you can also find out where she's speaking and doing other workshops and, and different uh, convocations around the country. So thank you again, Julianne. You're welcome. God bless. God bless. Salam as we say, which is goodbye. and God bless. I want to thank Julianne for being on our show this week. I will leave links in the show notes to her website and where to purchase her book. Julianne has an incredible ministry. It reaches all around the world, and I just feel lucky to count her among my friends. Thank you, Julianne, again for being on our show. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. It helps so much to push us up in the algorithm. So for more information about our show, where to find us, again, you can visit us at advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. And Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm, and we've been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, I hope you'll visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you continue to grow during the spiritual journey of the season of Lent. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Braving the Thin Places and join me every single day on YouTube on ChristiansCrosses.com. Have a great week, everybody. Until we meet again, God bless.